0: Hey everyone, and welcome back to Practically Zero Waste, a podcast for making zero waste living as practical as possible. Happy week three of Plastic Free July. How's it going, folks? What challenges have you given yourself? Have you been inspired by Eco Bingo at all? Have you been satisfied in at least just checking off the long list of eco-friendly habits you already have in place? Bingo is still on for the next two weeks of July, and last week's winner will be announced at the end of this episode. Today, I have a really lovely chat for you with Erin from Foragers Farms, a small market garden farm that also offers classes and workshops about forage and local food identification. We talk farming naturally grown products, foraging tips and how to feel resilient and deeply connected to the land no matter where you live or what you do. Let's
1: go. I guess it started when I was kind of getting more interested in getting back into health. I grew up playing soccer so I was a pretty active kid and I was active throughout high school as well but kind of veered off a little bit eating less healthy and Mm. all of that and becoming less interested in what I am putting into my body. And I think with that came a few side effects like acne and just not thriving as a human. I realized that through meeting various mentors and just shining a whole other light on how you can thrive as a human and some pretty important people that just brought me back to how I feel like things should be. I guess when I was done high school, I became interested in wanting to be a naturopathic doctor, oh, cool. uh, and I was pursuing that, but I realized that I wanted to have a bit more of a hands-on experience with health and food, so I took the chef route instead. I met this really lovely mentor of mine in Toronto. She owned, like a health food restaurant cafe called Cruda Cafe in the St. Lawrence Market. She just kind of really opened up a vessel for me, and I had met a large network of healers and plant medicine people and just foodies in general and that was like about 10 years ago when I was 19. Uh, My wildcrafting mentors uh, Alexis Burnett he owns a wildcrafting company called Earth Tracks and a Toronto-based wildcrafter Linda Rose she ran a farmer's market table and she was one of the most unique tables I'd ever seen she just kind of had some wildcrafted plants laying out and they were all dried up, and she gave them to people in their whole form, but dried, rather than grinding them up into a tea. She kind of just was, like, making it more of a visual experience for folks walking by her stand, and more engaging and and part of her whole business was to provoke people to want to get more involved in nature and so through that she invited people up to her land and kind of offered like a mentorship experience and that was just like a huge pivoting point for my health cuz i was like a young teenager looking to want to pay attention to my cycle and get off the birth control pill and just do more mm-hmm. natural remedies that i felt like i should have been doing the whole time really through all of that i became a farmer cool Uh, (laughs) i guess a few years later i met tyler like i have always worked in the chef world like a healthy food based restaurants are ones i've always worked with Mm -hmm. he was kind of on a similar journey but just at the beginning kind of when i met him we were friends for a couple of years and we had volunteered at a farm called foggy river farm he had slowly gotten into farming uh on a more serious level because we were gardening together casually but he was like, let's make, let's turn this into something more. So, he was part time doing that, and he was working full time as a tradesman uh, on this property that we rented in Osh or in Ajax. And I was the manager at a kitchen. So I was for his first year, I was buying basically all the ugly vegetables and everything that had been attached by all the the bugs.
0: That's amazing. I managed
1: to produce into beautiful food and repurpose it. Yeah, that was about seven years now. And then here we are on this property. We're going into our fourth year. We're leasing the land. And yeah, we're feeling very confident in our decision of becoming farmers. Uh, of course, there's many days where we're like, oh my gosh, why, why, why did we do this? But um, I think it helps to have farm friends that you can just vent about hardships over. And and it feels very purposeful being a farmer, just hearing every week from Farmers market customers expressing their gratefulness for farmers and all of that. That really, that really keeps us going. <laughs>
0: That's amazing! What a cool journey that you've been on. That it's been guided by health and food. Um, you mentioned something called wildcrafting. What is that?
1: Wildcrafting basically translates to gathering any wild plants from nature and turning them into. Like a medicine or tea, for example. Mm. So it's like the art of transforming wilds into another form of use. Generally, foraging, you're harvesting to craft it. I think they use the terms intermittently, but yeah, foraging is just more common.
0: Said it took more of a kind of medicinal focus too, and so maybe that is part of the distinction?
1: I take it as like the word craft is in there. So you're like the actual act of making it into something else.
0: Cool. So you said foragers farms began about four years ago? Yeah. Great. So how did that finally start and kind of describe your farm for us?
1: It was a leaping point. Tyler had been experimenting on this Ajax property that we were at. We felt like we were ready for a really big change. And Tyler, being a tradesman, he had had a lot of tradesmen dollars saved up to invest Mm -hmm. into a business. I had a little bit of capital saved up. So we were like, all right, let's try this. So we were looking at properties to buy initially and soon realized that that's not the route that we could afford right away. Yeah. So we had gone on to, well, I I had actually found about, about the website farmlinks.net at a documentary screening I'd seen. Oh, cool. About another farmer. Yeah. So I, I put my hand up at this documentary because they had a Q&A at the end. And I was like, there's got to be a way to connect people with land with people who want land. Like, does that exist? And, and the guy's like, yes, farmlinks.net.
0: Wow, so that's perfect.
1: I went on the website and um, the only posting on there were people that I actually had known because I had volunteered at their farm. <laughs> Throughout the years, they had a uh, posting on there looking for people to take care of their home garden, which was then to feed all of their kids and all of their woofers and provide food for events that they host. So that's where it began. Amazing. Uh, but once we sat down with them on more serious terms, we kind of stated that we wanted to make more of a, uh, a farm business as well. So we arranged a barter with them where we helped them a certain percentage of our time and then in exchange, we get a couple of acres and we get to live on their property seasonally in our yurt. Oh my gosh, so, that
0: sounds so cool.
1: <laughs> that, that's been going on for four years now. It has evolved over the four years. Like, wow. Um, this is our first year being less involved with their business and more in ours in the sense that like we're just very busy now and our farm is growing and we're ready to kind of like step it up another level now we are just strictly leasers from them so initially it was bartering but now we are we're leasing a a farmhouse off of them for our two interns we get two interns every year and then we have two and a half acres and then we have access to their they have got 40 acres of forest on their property
0: Oh, wow. And so that's where you do some of your foraging as well. So you have Foragers and Farms in the title. Can you tell me a little bit about what you grow and what you are foraging for?
1: Yeah, what we grow, basically every vegetable that you can think of. So like 25 (laughs) to 35 vegetables. And we usually grow anywhere from two to three cultivars of these vegetables. So quite an, an array And foraging right now. Today we were foraging for raspberry leaf, nettle, horsetail, and dandelion. Wow. Something that we would be foraging for in another month or so, more of the summer plants would be like red clover, yarrow, mullein, there's colesfoot leaf, some asters, a lot of wildflowers in the summertime. And then in the fall we do sumac, elderberries, rosehip. And a lot of roots, so like wild ginger. We also cultivate some medicinal herbs for these tea blends that we make as well. So we we usually do a spring-summer-fall tea blend, and they're about 80% wild and 20% medicinal plants that we've grown. Wow. So with those, we, Tyler had built a solar dehydrator, mm-hmm. and we dehydrate them in there. So it takes about two days if it's a really hot day, and we just make sure to um, process them in the process. Because, for example, something like dandelion, the stem has like, holds a lot more moisture than the leaf. So we put it in the dehydrator for a day, and then take it out at the end of the day and gargle it, which is when you take the, ma- the plant matter and you brush over it with your hand over top of like a mesh material so that it breaks it down oh cool so then we kind of separate the stuff that falls off so that would be the stuff that's a bit more dry we put that in a pile and then the stuff that needs to dry a bit more we throw back in the dehydrator it's a pretty small scale
0: right something that we would love
1: to step up over time for sure
0: is there space for expansion at the place that you are currently leasing
1: there's not I mean, we could expand with our foraging side, but with the farming side, no. With the water, we've basically hit max capacity with mm-hmm. it. And if not, we've already gone beyond because almost every summer now, the well is run dry. And mm. it usually runs dry when we need it the most, which is like midsummer. Oh, and yeah. all of our crops are in the ground. And yeah, yeah <laughs> just the hottest then. <laughs>
0: right, yeah. As far as your farm goes, you are certified naturally grown. What does that mean?
1: So it's a peer reviewed certification. Oh cool. And part of their process is that you can find a local producer who is either also certified naturally grown or one who isn't as well, but they prefer certified naturally grown producers. There isn't a lot in this area though, so so far we've gotten Honeybees and Kendall Hills farm. Mm-hmm to peer review us uh, and then this will be our third year that we, we still have to get peer reviewed for this year so yeah it's just a smaller grassroots not-for-profit and it's a lot more affordable we could have chosen not to do this but we felt like we did like the idea of having like that valuable aspect to our customers to be able to say like yes we are certified naturally grown you know it just mm-hmm. it felt right And at the same time it's a lot easier and more affordable Less paperwork than certified organic. This is just kind of like a one-off. The peer reviewers come. They ask you, it ends up being about eight pages long, eight pages of questions, and mm-hmm. then they tour the garden and the farm, and then you send it into certified naturally grown, and then they yay or nay it, and then you're good to go.
0: Wow. Okay, so then what does it mean to be an organic farm in essence?
1: I guess it would start from the land for sure so making sure the soil is at its most natural least invaded soil there is and from there I know in order to be certified organic it does need to be seven years free of pesticides Mm. and then where we are it was already when we came here so from the get go we felt okay we're good to grow on here. Because I do have very high standards with my food. I've certified organic majority for the past 10 years. And then once I became a farmer, I kind of refocused a bit on like, okay, focus on eating local. And it's a perk if they're certified organic. But if they aren't, at least ask questions as to how their practices are. Mm
0: -hmm. So, yeah,
1: it is definitely a focus of ours to be organic organic much as possible so yeah the soil all of the seeds that we get are certified organic through johnny's high mowing and what's the other one urban harvest so the soil the seeds super important and then once once the seeds are actually germinated how you are caring for these plants and then how you plant them so diversity is crucial in making sure that you're not going to have a huge population of pests Attacking your garden. So, just right away, through having a market garden and diversity and, and not having a monocrop garden, we're instantly taking away the equation of it being a huge pest attractor. So, right, yeah. Um, but when we do deal with pests, we deal with it by using uh, insect netting. For example, right now there's beetle bugs who are loving all of the brassica plants.
0: Oh, dear.
1: And so, basically, as soon as we plant, our bok choy's and our pak choys, we have to cover them up right away with insect netting. Uh, last week we didn't do that with a crop. We were just so tired. We finished planting like 300 bok choy's oh, and yes. like 300 of this and 200 of this or something. And and then it was like 7 o'clock by that time, so we didn't cover them up right away. And then like then you know the next day happens and then the next day happens and all of a sudden it's like oh damn man we didn't cover that up. So you go and check up on them. They're half eaten and then. Mm. At that point, we just crop it out <laughs> because we know not a lot of customers enjoy holy food. So you don't eat the holes. <laughs> it's kind of the dark side of farming, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's I- hard. <laughs> and then um, intercropping, making sure to plant things like marigold flowers with tomatoes and the hot crops, which help ward off their pests. I know, we don't do this, but I know Circle Organic does this. They they get praying mantis,
0: bug, Whoa, cool. and they
1: bring them, they introduce them. I don't know who they would purchase these praying mantis from. And then they let them loose on their joys and stuff, and they get all the... <laughs> no
0: way. the That's cool, wow. The
1: past we've done, we've sprayed some of our plants with diluted essential oils. So peppermint oil and clove, diluted, spraying them on your plants I've heard of cayenne pepper being good for some pests. Mm-hmm. Oh, and recently I've seen Tyler. He bought a a little handheld vacuum. He walked up to every single bok choy plant with these flea beetles, and he vacuumed the flea beetles off. Oh my
0: gosh, <laughs> that's awesome. That is dedication. That is something that a large scale monocrop farmer would probably not be able to have the time for. Yeah. But that's fantastic yeah. that you're working on a scale that's manageable that you can you can take care of your plants and pay particular attention to them and in that way you don't have to just spray the entire field with something that's going to kill both good and bad pests
1: exactly like you said organic has many layers and many definitions according to every farmer so I think just through asking questions to your farmer that could be the most important thing beyond the certification and uh, we certainly open up our farm to everyone even now if folks want to come even now during the COVID moments we can give tours you don't have to be nearby us yeah, you can be following along as we show you around and just show you what's going on here.
0: That is awesome. I want to come. <laughs> <laughs> How do you prioritize soil health on your farm as well? Like, is taking care of the soil also pretty crucial in having a productive garden and having one that is organic?
1: Yes, most definitely. That's a, a big cost of ours throughout the, the years of farming. So far, every year, Tyler has gotten horse manure from the farmers down the road from us okay, wow. yeah. and he buys big huge big huge bags of organic chicken pelleted manure it's just basically like um, dehydrated chicken poo <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, that's just an easier product to deal with, lighter weight, to right? Spread, yeah. To spread on top of the garden bed And then uh, kelp is another product that he's just started to use this year. Do you
0: do anything like cover cropping or making use of your own compost pile? Like, what would you have done with all of the pak choys that got eaten alive <laughs> <A lot of laughs> by the beetles? Um, yeah,
1: cover cropping Tyler does do. He he uses uh, red clover, oats. And last year he used type of daikon radish. Oh cool. In one of the garden beds that he made. And then composting we don't really incorporate it into our gardens yet. Mm-hmm. We haven't the we don't have the proper tractor to be flipping our large compost yeah. pile right now. Yeah. So <laughs> that's an investment we would have to make down the road.
0: I get tired from <laughs> like churning my own yeah. compost with a pitchfork. So uh, having the quantity headwatered- that's going in there would be a lot
1: headwaters farm the people that we lease from they do it on a smaller scale and they have the proper three three sectional composting mm-hmm. setup and that's what we throw our food scraps into for now
0: that's awesome that's so but, cool
1: yeah that's definitely a goal of ours down the road to be producing all of our own compost basically keeping a closed loop system everything from the farm so cool
0: do you do anything like rotating your crops as well like
1: tyler raises um rotates every year cool he does have a a rhythm that he's established that he for sure could tell you more (laughs) that's a Tyler question he leaves some beds follow as well like to rest for a season
0: oh cool wow Um,
1: if it were our own property and if we if we had a bit more acreage to play around with then we would certainly be doing a lot more like keeping beds to rest type of thing Mm -hmm. but um Because of the the acreage that we have here, it's so little to begin with. We don't do it in such a scale that we hope to be, but we will be eventually once we have our own little farm set up.
0: So cool. Why did you decide to call your farm Foragers Farms?
1: We wanted to have foraging as an aspect of our lives. So we wanted to make sure that um, we could share that because we saw that there wasn't too much out there being offered in terms of mentorship or educational meetup groups or, or anything like that. Because when we had been at the beginning of our journey and we re- researched mentors, I had mentioned him earlier, Alexis Burnett. He's way up in Orangeville. And yeah, we had a hard time finding people in our area. So since our experience with Alexis and creating our, our business, We decided to call it Fortress Farms because we... We liked the idea of having veggies, which are very familiar with people, at our farm stand, mm-hmm. uh, at our farmers market table, with uh, a little bit of wildcrafted products, because we thought it would be a nice little gateway for people to ask questions. You know, they're already at our table, they're comfortable talking about veggies, they're comfortable with us. Maybe the next time they come up and grab the carrots, they'll be like, "Oh, what is that bag of wild tea over there? Like, mm-hmm. what is that good for? Oh, how do you harvest that? Where is that from?" So, yeah, we liked the idea of continuing to share this passion of ours on a very small scale certainly is a small scale I'd say like within a two-week span of farming probably like one of those two weeks days we're out in the forest and then other days we're farming so wow it's not something that we do in abundance that's mostly because our garden takes a lot of work mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Being a small scale and yeah being our like naturally grown with a lot of weeding, a lot of hand picking, a lot of manpower. We have a very very small tractor and it's not as versatile as some tractors can be. So mm-hmm. um, with what we have on hand, it does involve a lot more manpower to yeah. have a successful market garden. Looking forward to like always in- incorporate these awesome modern day tools that awesome market gardeners are creating out there.
0: A lot of vacuuming plants off of things <laughs> That's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, Tyler's
1: already always getting these new interesting techniques that he's finding through all of these YouTube videos and talking to other farmers like Scott from Cedar Grove and reading his, his Market Gardener book from Jean Martin. Like, that's that's what I love about farmers and people who gravitate towards farmers markets in general They just tend to be a bit more giving in their information and mm-hmm. sharing is caring is the real mindset I feel for feel from there a lot so that's awesome yeah it just seems like everyone has each other's backs
0: that's so good i love that like having each other's backs as farmers i feel is so important especially when you are off the beaten trail and trying to do things organically and uh, sustainably and good for the land, good for your health, good for the people who are picking your gardens to have things not be covered in pesticides and other um, chemicals. I think it's great that people are able to share resources and work together. It's very similar to the zero waste, low waste community um, in that You're not competing. Everybody's trying to share resources and share information and all make a better world together. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Totally. (laughs) beautiful <laughs> so tell me more about your workshops and programs that you run to help teach people about foraging because like when you advertise your foraging workshops or any of your workshops um, at your market stand I think that's so awesome and I know that maybe <laughs> things will be a little bit different this year but if so then maybe just tell us a little bit about past years and what that's been like well
1: the first two years Tyler and I led the foraging walks ourselves cool. we established it to be a spring summer and fall series so mm-hmm. that people are familiar with how certain plants in the spring are evolving into their summer uh, evolution and how they look then and then what happens to them in the fall and then so through those three seasons they're getting a feel for when it's best to harvest them or what to look for during this stage of growth part of those workshops we also taught half what you can use these for how we can process them turning them into tinctures or teas cool so And yeah, we we led them to be um, pretty casual because we were were newer to guiding foraging. We felt confident in our knowledge, but we wanted them to be more of a casual side. So we always made it open for our um, foragers who came with us. We made it very open for them to chime in on any knowledge that they had because that's always the setting that we've learned foraging in which is like learn from each other like you look at one plant this plant has like 20 medicinal benefits and i might know two of them and you might know two of them so together we can share our experience with these plants that we've learned over time how Mm -hmm. to use them Uh, and then when our third year came uh, one of our interns was a very big forager named uh, sammy and she took on leading them last year and oh, cool. this year because we felt like we were just becoming overwhelmed. We noticed that the first and second year that when the weekends were were set for these workshops, we, we just weren't like mentally prepared because we had to get in like study mode and workshop mode and we were basically drained and we didn't oh, have the yeah. capacity to, to get into that mode. So we kind of stepped back and we handed it over to Sammy, who is an active forger and so she's still doing like the spring summer and fall year she was able to offer the spring one but we kind of put a halt to the summer one until further notice basically mm-hmm. and and with the spring one she just set it up so that it was groups no bigger than five
0: mm-hmm. and
1: I think they were instead of like a four hour workshop she did two hours uh, smaller groups
0: yeah things are different this year and that's that's hard <laughs> I love that within the scope of your spring, summer, fall series that you would be able to maybe point out, hey, that's that plant that's only going to be ready in the fall, but you can see its progression throughout the year and keep an eye out for it and look for where it is on the trails and stuff. That's great. Yeah. Do you have any tips for foragers, people who are looking to start doing this on their own, maybe as an activity when they're out in nature in this weird time and mm-hmm. uh, encouraging self-sufficiency do you have tips and guidelines too like maybe rules about how what percentage you should take from a berry patch or something in order to leave enough for the animals and the birds
1: depends on the plant generally like if it's an invasive plant uh, generally you're you can harvest a little bit more but plants say like coal or nettle I would say no more than 15-20% of that patch. Mm-hmm. So if, if it's a stem that has like six leaves, for example, if nettle, you're harvesting the leaves off of it, I would harvest one or two per stem.
0: Right, yeah.
1: And then harvest it similar to like a kale plant, you want to harvest the biggest leaves. Depends on your learning style. I certainly found it the best for me to be learning under mentorship so with another person there physically beside me Mm -hmm. so I really liked the idea of like volunteering my time to help out other foragers forage products for their product line or for their business and in the process I was learning about all the plants that they were incorporating into their lives and their business Mm -hmm. but if you're more of an independent learner you like to use a book there's some really good books out there one of them is peterson's guidebook
0: and oh that's so good to have because there are so many different learning styles and so to be able to um, either find somebody uh, locally to you that's leading tours similar to foragers farms or if you're able to find resources both online i mean what are some big don'ts when it comes to foraging (laughs) uh
1: don't just read one resource definitely read like two if not three
0: cool yeah
1: just because it's a berry don't eat it that's always a good one <laughs> yeah don't lose track of yourself if you are foraging alone make sure you're very aware of your your north south east and west that can happen very easily on the property that we're on your, your head can be down the whole time you're really engaged in a plant you're feeling good and confident and and then all of a sudden you don't know where you are <laughs> <laughs> right so that's not uncommon i've done that before in the property that we're on oh my gosh and, <laughs> <laughs> but I eventually just followed the north the sun north and I hit a road so wow. yeah knowing your your directions and all of that very important Tyler and I have developed our own call and response <laughs> in the forest yeah the property is quite large so it's very easy to wander and lose each other <laughs>
0: <laughs> what's your call and response
1: uh we just say ah, cool. oh that's fun really loud our little son <laughs> has picked it up so it's good that was that was the goal the goal is teach him how to learn how to call for us if he gets lost or anything
0: oh that's fun instead of just being like mom (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) better this way
1: (laughs) yeah where we are there's a lot of poison ivy so if you're allergic to it not everyone reacts to it the same but if you don't know just wear some pants make sure you're safe so you're gonna really regret it and then i wouldn't want anyone to have a negative association with going out into nature or the forest i was so, so itchy yeah, poison, poison ivy so learn how to identify stuff like the most poisonous things like poison ivy uh, poisonous hemlock there's some wildflowers out there that you can't eat yeah. uh, like buttercups are considered poisonous Fox and then yeah when you're Valley. done your forging walk check for ticks things like that uh, but like don't be afraid of nature. and Yeah. If you are, I hope that you can feel inclined to reach out to us or or Sammy or uh, other mentors that I can share with people.
0: Mm -hmm. I love that. Don't be afraid of nature because you can be like, I I know so many people who not just because they've maybe grown up in the city or something, but like nature can be demonized in a lot of upbringings. And I just wouldn't want anybody to miss out on something as fantastic as walking through the woods and being like, I know that that is a raspberry plant and that it's safe to eat and I can just snack while I'm in the woods. Like that is the best feeling.
1: (laughs) yeah and through that you just feel more and more in love and connected to nature and nourished
0: so Mm -hmm. yeah it's
1: a good relationship to have with Mm -hmm. the wild
0: yeah i was gonna ask like how how does both farming and foraging really help deepen your connection with nature
1: wow i feel very healthy i walking around barefoot I'm eating 90% of the products that are on this land feeling very resilient and confident and knowing that I have this knowledge Mm
0: -hmm. foundation
1: that I can only grow from over the years and share with other people and just with things becoming more localized and having a more sustainable diet I feel really good about my journey and just the fact that it happened how it happened yeah so excited that my son can grow up in this environment and surround himself by other people who hopefully engage in this lifestyle or who are interested that he'll meet over the years just from coming here.
0: That's so lovely. And- you know not everybody likes walking around barefoot in the grass or whatever i mean i do but i'm just i'm just trying to like open it up and saying that you don't have to like have your own farm or know how to forage to have a deep connection with nature but to find the ways that you can connect to the world and to the planet that we're fighting for it's so important to feel that connection and to have a, a mission and a purpose and feel grounded yeah
1: Exactly. just to have the practice of even just acknowledging nature like yeah I, i'm lucky in the sense that i do live on a farm which has a lot of wild around it but mm-hmm. for people who don't have the opportunity and who are living with a lot of suburban setting and even trying to make a point to find the local forest or yeah. bike to the local forest there's a lot of groups online that are meetup groups that meet up at local parks and just identifying the most basics that are growing through cement walls and
0: stuff <laughs> yeah i know that's so great too i was even thinking like like if you're gonna bike to the local woods and you're unsure about the woods go with a friend like make this an adventure and explore and even if you come home with like nothing but mosquito bites then like, <laughs> yeah. you're still gonna have had and at least
1: you have an excuse for going outside <laughs> yes
0: yeah what is harvest time like on your farm
1: harvest time is pretty constant here
0: right yeah uh... <laughs> Maybe I'll re-ask that because you're right. The way that a market garden works, you're not just doing this one big monocrop of corn or something that everything is ready in, you know, end of August. August is
1: the most, like, abundance in harvest, though. I would say, like, we're harvesting things like tomatoes and cucumbers and zucchinis that basically need to be checked on every day. August is a very energetic month. How we should be spending our free time in August. Mm. Very important because we need... We need a lot of energy for our farm during that month. Wow. These are all crops that we're having to check on uh, in the morning and sometimes in the morning and night uh, <laughs> because they're just growing so fast and abundantly. August is a very busy month, but yet we're somehow energized from the amount of work <laughs> that comes with it because it's kind of like this is what we've been building up for. This is peak season and, yeah. and we know from here things are only only going to slow down so it's a pretty exciting month yeah we have a lot going on that is amazing <laughs> a lot coming out of the ground
0: yeah <laughs> how long do you attend markets in the fall and winter like are you storing things for quite a bit or tell me about that
1: <laughs> <laughs> so far we've been doing the winter market up until the end of december okay Yeah. And that's mostly because the property that we're leasing, we move off farm for a couple of months because mm-hmm. we just leave, live here seasonally. Our cold cellar storage here is not that large either, so okay. we're kind of limited to that. But through time, we would love to get to the... I mean, we. I kind of like that we're only at the market until the end of December. It's a nice break. Mm-hmm. Uh, but right now, we're kind of taking the winter and shifting it into our other careers, like our past careers. So Tyler goes back to his part-time tradesman job, and I go back to my chefing cool. job part-time. So yeah, I mean, eventually we would love to either have a lot more storage crops to be offering once we maybe buy our own farm or expand our farm. And if not, then we would love to be able to... We've always had the idea of, like, traveling in the winter, mm, wolfing,
0: Yeah. that way we
1: can constantly involve new techniques into our farming style but yeah i'm not sure how traveling will be after these times now anyways so yeah. maybe it's better that you know we just stay local and keep within our local community
0: yeah as far as foraging goes what are some things that you really forage for around here in the month of august
1: things like red clover and yarrow
0: would those be used for a tea
1: we use those in our teas uh, we also put them in uh, an olive oil and make a, an infusion with them. Oh, cool. So that's essentially uh, you dry the plant matter, put them in olive oil just enough to cover the plant matter and then you let it sit in a, a, a dark shaded place mm-hmm. for about two weeks plus. So you can basically do it for like, I don't know, you can go up to like keeping the plant matter in there for a month or two months even if you want to. But we usually leave it in for about two to three weeks and then uh, we create salves out of that, which is like a really strong, concentrated, it's a thicker cream that you use on more of a, a patch on your body for things like rashes or dryness or itches, cool. rather than like a whole body cream.
0: Wow, cool. See, that's yeah. the stuff that I want to learn. Like, what do, what do I do yeah. with all the things that I know how to forage? Uh, what yeah. can I make with them? Which, like,
1: It definitely motivates you to forage more once you know what to do with these things.
0: Mm -hmm. I'll have to take one of your workshops sometime uh, to be able to learn what to make with all of these different (laughs) forage things, because I think that that is... It's just so satisfying to, not just because I'm frugal and you're like, oh, I found this for free, but like also, (laughs) you know, it's really exciting to be able to have knowledge of the land and to be able to be on a nature walk and point things out to people and have this natural knowledge. I think that's just so awesome.
1: Most definitely.
0: What is the most satisfying part in the work that you do surrounding food?
1: Hmm. I love waking up with the sun and going to bed with the sun. Mm -hmm. Uh, Definitely the, the connectiveness, the secludedness, but also the community that we feel with this. Because we are on a community farm, a farm that involves the homeowners, their children, their yeah. wolfers, our interns we have a beekeeper here and then like there's before covid there was always things like tours and musical events so
0: oh, that's awesome uh, i
1: guess just like a, a huge sense of gratitude just for like the type of people that this world attracts and the health that comes with it i don't know yeah so many things
0: <laughs> that's so that sounds so satisfying i'm very happy for you yeah. guys that's great thank you is there anyone inspiring you that you would love to share with some of our listeners? The like You've mentioned quite a few of your mentors, but if there's anybody else that maybe you haven't mentioned yet, that you'd like uh, to share either as resources or just as inspiration?
1: Yeah, Laura Gilmore is uh, an amazing inspiration. She was also kind of involved in the, our, our Alexis Burnett's workshops.
0: Okay, she has cool.
1: her own company called Wild Muskoka. Um, her biggest product would probably be her elderberry syrup because mm. she's recently gotten that be a lot of, a lot of large health food stores and I think Whole Foods even carries it now.
0: Wow!
1: So we met her about four years ago and she was kind of in the midst of trying to get this product to be a product in which she could have at various large stores. So yeah, she's now at that point. That's awesome! Really inspiring. I tend to surround myself by a lot of naturally raised birth mama type of People. So mm-hmm. I have, like, Ina May is, is a big mentor of mine. Oh, yeah. I stumbled across when I was pregnant, and I was wanting to have a home birth and a natural birth and all that. So I found her message really empowering, kind of using mindset to be able to relax your body while you're going through labor. And there's various techniques that she goes through just how you can have a successful natural birth.
0: That's awesome. So
1: <laughs> that is, those would be my mentors right now. Tyler, I would say his Aww. mentors would be people like Joel Salatin, who's yeah. uh, a rotational grazing grazing chicken farmer. John Martin, who's like the the Mark Gardner that most folks know because of his, his book. Steve Martin is another amazing mentor of Tyler's. He's got his own tea company, or he did have his own tea company called the Algonquin Tea Company.
0: Cool.
1: Yeah, and then like little micro mentors. So just like other farmers.
0: Oh yeah.
1: We've been inspired by their business, like uh, Sherry from Chickabiddy. Oh yeah, she's uh, so I really good. <laughs> value her style and her scale of farm. is just size that we feel is respectable that we could achieve <laughs> mm. without feeling like we're exhausting ourselves because we right. want to make sure our mental health is there, too. Yeah. Yeah, um, lots of farmers inspiring us, like the young farmers, too, Honeybees, Carrie and Dave, Scott from Cedar Grove. We've mm-hmm. always been pals with him from the get go.
0: Mm-hmm. Hanging
1: out with them in our spare time.
0: Yeah, what spare time? <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: That's like awesome. once a year. <laughs> Yeah, once a year in the winter.
1: That's awesome. <laughs> yeah.
0: Where can people go to find more about the farm, and if there's any tours that are being offered, is that on your website?
1: Yeah, our website does cover where you can find us. So you can find us at two Peterborough markets throughout the week. The Coburg Market. Coburg Rico and a, a Bowmanville Rico, and our CSA is sign up dates past the poll now, but we do offer CSA every year. And our wholesale customers have lessened this year, but we do work with a lot of wholesale restaurants and markets. But that's all pretty much on our website, I believe. Foragers Farms, both with an S, dot ca. Perfect, that's cool. yeah <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> Erin, this was so much fun chatting with you, and I loved learning all about foraging and how to just care about your soil and your plants and take such good care of them and take care of yourself at the same time. So, thank you yeah. so much for being on the podcast. Ah, That's was great. Thanks for caring so much. I love it. <laughs> I love it too. It was so nice. I just want everybody who listens to this podcast to care as much about being in touch and in tune with nature as
1: I do, <laughs> as you do, clearly. Yeah good Yeah, I was gonna get that voice
0: for sure. Thanks again for listening everyone. If you want to learn more from Aaron and Tyler, visit their website foragersfarms.ca. If you enjoyed today's episode, you'd probably also enjoy episode 41 Eating Local, episode 60 Natural Plant Dyes, and episode 86 Rewilding. You can find all of those and more in our archives wherever you get your podcasts. And the winner for last week's round of Eco Bingo is Stacy Hughes. Congrats, Stacy, and thanks to everyone last week for making the planet cleaner and greener by your actions. Keep it up. There's still two weeks of July to go if you'd like to get in on Eco Bingo and a whole lifetime while the planet lasts to step up our game and make a difference in this world. If you're enjoying the podcast and would like to support the work I do, you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee over at coffee.com/slash Callahan, Link in the show notes as well. And if you'd be willing to leave the podcast a rating or review, that would make a huge difference in helping it be seen and listened to by people who are looking for this kind of content simply click the ratings and review section on this podcast page in apple podcasts and tell me what you like the most that's all from me this week i hope you enjoy some time outside in this glorious weather giving air hugs to the ones you love to be in nature with have a great week everyone and talk to you soon